0: psalms 24 verse 1 psalms 24. i'm gonna be real honest with you i started out this message on stewardship how to care for another's goods and it kind of turned into a tithing message now i know tithing makes some people uncomfortable so i left the back door open and i'll give you a five count and everybody just looks straight ahead, and they'll, they'll think you're going to the bathroom. Yeah. Psalms 24.1. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Who does the earth belong to? Who do all the people belong to? Who does everything on, in, and around the earth belong to? Okay, I just want to make sure we understood that. But I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to start out by talking about stewardship. And this kind of just evolved into a good tithing message. A steward is a person who is employed or appointed by someone to manage or look after their possessions. So it's a person whose sole responsibility is to take care of something that doesn't belong to him. And in our opening scripture, the Bible clearly establishes who owns the world and everything that's on it, in it, and around it. That's God, right? It all belongs to God. So anything that we think we own has only been entrusted to us. We don't own anything. We are simply stewards Of what God has allowed us to manage for him. And God created the universe, everything in it, including you and I. And he can do whatever he wants with it because it belongs solely to him. Is that right? I mean, you own a car, you can do whatever you want with that car. You might have to pay a consequence if you run somebody over it you don't like. But you can do whatever you want with it. You can let it rust down in your front yard, or you can drive it off a cliff, or you can hit it with a sledgehammer. Why? It's your car. You can do what you want, right? And possessions are nice, but they don't mean nearly as much to us if we don't have someone to share them with. Amen. I mean, we need people in our lives more than we need possessions. And take your house or your car or or whatever your prized possession is, and you might think, well, I worked hard to earn the money that paid for that possession, paid for that house, paid for that car. That car belongs to me because I paid for it with sweat equity. But you're wrong. And that's a wrong attitude to have. Let's go back to our opening scripture. The, the, the earth is whose? The Lord. And everything in it is whose? The Lord. And the world and all the people that's on it? The it's the Lord's. It ain't yours. He entrusted you with it. Every board, every brick, every wire, pipe, piece of metal, equipment, all the material that went into that house or car or whatever it is you have, it came from where? The earth. Who owns the earth? That's right. It all belongs to God. And this is an attitude and a mindset that we need to establish in our lives. We need to have this mindset That I'm just entrusted with this house. I'm entrusted with this car. I'm entrusted with this church. It don't belong to me. I'm responsible for it in a way because I have to pay the bills, keep things going, keep the lights on, keep the heat and the air in the the summertime. All of these things. I have a responsibility, but it's not my church. It's His. Not my house. It's His. Not my car. It's His. Because without Him... Nothing. So when God created Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was put them in charge of everything that he created, didn't he? And they were the first stewards of God's possessions. He shared everything with them except for one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't touch that. And so God has some things that he doesn't want us to mess with, Things that are off limits to us. In the old tabernacle, he had this, I guess it was some kind of an ointment that they would put on the altar of incense. And it had a beautiful smell to it. But it was God's recipe. He told them how to make it. And he said, don't you mess with it. It's mine. It's set aside for my use. And don't you take none home and give it to your wife. Don't put any behind your ear. Don't use it in your house to make your house Smell nice, it's mine. Get yourself something else. And so there's things that God has that he don't want us messing with. It's things that are set aside for God's use and God's use only. And the tithe is one of them. That's how I got into this. Sorry. But just like Adam and Eve, it seems like it's in our nature. We can have everything in the world, and we want the one thing that we can't have. Don't touch the stove. You're going to have the whole house. Don't touch the stove, we tell our kids. And what do they do? They just can't get their mind off that stove. They gravitate towards the thing that they're not supposed to have. That's the way we are. And so Adam and Eve partook of the tree that God told them not to touch. And their disobedience caused a separation between themselves and their creator. There became this gap between God and man. There, there was this uncrossable chasm or valley, and God was here and man was here, and there was no way that the two could come back together again. That's what spiritual death is. And God warned them that if they partook of that fruit, in the day that they partake of it, that day they will die. And that day they died spiritually because they were separated from God's fellowship. And like I said, that's what spiritual death is. It's being separated from God. And then they began to die physically. Things began to age. Things began to grow old and wear out and die. Flowers began to die. They had never experienced death. They didn't know anything about death. All they knew about was life and good things. And that's why God told them, the knowledge is there, but you don't need to know about it because I've given you everything. But they had to have it. So unfortunately, we were born into that same sin and disobedience because we were born spiritually dead because of our forefather, Adam, and our mother, Eve, because of what they did, and we're their offspring. But God loved us so much that he had a plan to restore our relationship with him. Thank God. And and the Bible says he had that plan since the foundations of the earth. He he made plans to create us to lose us, and to get us back. Hallelujah. And so he came up with a way to bridge that gap, to cross that chasm that Adam and Eve's disobedience created between God and us. So Jesus is the bridge that connects us back to God. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and the man Christ Jesus. One God. One mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. There's a whole lot in that statement there. So, what is a mediator? It's a person who attempts to bring together two or more parties that have reached an impasse. Now, you know, you've been at them impasses, especially if you're married. You've been at an impasse more times than you want to admit. But it's people that have reached an impasse involving a conflict or a disagreement. I say yes, I say no. And they can't get together and agree, so they call in a counselor or a mediator, someone that can hear both sides of the story, and then hopefully give them some advice. That's who Jesus is. He's our mediator. And the Word will solve all our problems. You can say yes, you can say no, but what does the Word say? And that should be the tiebreaker in every impasse, the Word. That hasn't changed. He's still our mediator. He's still our umpire. He's still our referee, if you will. But we were out at odds with God, and it was sin that separated us. So until the sin issue could be resolved, we remained in a spiritually dead condition. There'd be no fellowship with God, and we would continue to be separated from God. Now, Adam and Eve didn't know what that was until the day they ate of that fruit. Because they were with God every day, and God was with them, and they fellowshiped every day. And now, God can't have anything to do with them because they were in sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's the cost of sin. Something or somebody has to die because that wage has to be paid in order to satisfy God. And sin demands the sacrifice of an innocent victim. Well, why, don't, why doesn't sin kill the person that sinned? Why does it have to have an innocent person? Because God had a plan. And that's why God instituted animal sacrifices. Either you had to die, or God provided an animal to die in your place, or a sacrifice to die in your place. And thank God he did. Otherwise, you'd have to pay the wages of sin. And you'd have to die for them. So he instituted animal sacrifices because their shed blood would atone for the sins of mankind, but only temporarily. And they would have to do this on a continual basis. And when Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a lamb without blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. One that they raised and one that didn't have any blemishes, wasn't crippled, wasn't blind in one eye, couldn't hear out of one ear or whatever it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish without spot or blemish and that lamb that they sacrificed and took the blood and sprinkled it on the doorposts and lentils of their house to cause the death angel to pass over that lamb became a precedent setting for the future lamb that God would provide and that was Jesus Christ can you see this And the whole reason for shedding the blood is to bring God's people back into fellowship with himself and on a permanent basis, not just temporary. So when Jesus offered himself the perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish, you remember John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He recognized that. And so Jesus became the Lamb of God. And he was an innocent sacrifice, who knew no sin and didn't deserve to die. He was sinless, and he didn't deserve to die. We were the sinners. We're the ones that deserve to die. But he told the Father, I'll take their place. And and so he was the only sacrifice that would be acceptable to God that could atone for our sins once and for all and and forever, and, and not just be temporary, just one sacrifice forever. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. We don't have to go to the... Temple every week and offer sacrifices and sprinkle blood and and deal with all the stuff that the Old Testament saints had to deal with. Jesus' sacrifice was permanent. Hallelujah. And through his sacrifice, he took the hand of God and the hand of man that was separated and he brings them back together where? In himself. So that's why Jesus is so important to us. He's the mediator that bridged the gap and closed the chasm. That separated us from our creator. And now we're back in oneness or fellowship with him. And so that's why Jesus is the only way to God. He was the only one that was an acceptable sacrifice. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. He had to stop that sin that was in Adam's loins from passing down to him. And so that doesn't pass through the woman. Because so, it's somehow blocked in the birthing process. And... He had the blood of God flowing through his veins, which made him the only acceptable sacrifice from beginning of time to the end of time. There is no other sacrifice that can be offered to please God and bring us back into oneness with him. And that's why any religion that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and the atoning blood is lost, and they'll never see heaven. Amen. They won't agree with us on that, but I'm telling you, He was the only sacrifice that was acceptable. And if we don't accept him, we'll never be back in fellowship with God. Hallelujah. But he took what God had and what we needed and brought us back together. He reconciled us back to God, which means he purchased us back, bought us back, and put us back into harmony with God again. The Apostle Paul said we were bought with a price Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <laughs> like I said, God owns everything, including you. You, the real you, which is a spirit being that lives in this body, you're just a steward of this body. This body don't even belong to you. It belongs to him. And that's why we have to take care of it. Why? Because it ain't your'n. We're not our own anymore. We belong to Him. So we've been reconciled back to God. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's a powerful, powerful scripture right there because God entered into Christ and went on the cross to reconcile us back to himself. So, in other words, he paid the price to get us back. Nobody else could pray, pay that price. So, Jesus bridged the gap between what God has and what we needed. And now, as born-again believers, we also have the ministry of reconciliation because we received the word of reconciliation, So we're supposed to be the same bridge between what God has and what people need to join them back together. We have the word of reconciliation. We should be out there telling our brothers and sisters that God ain't mad at them anymore. And he wants to be in fellowship with them. And no, no matter what they've done to estrange themselves from God, it's not too big for the blood to cover. That's our job. So we have God on one side that has everything, people on the other side that have many needs, and it's our job as believers, as his children, to bring them back together. Amen. Now, I said all of that to say this. God himself not only saved us, but he purchased us back. Because Adam sold everything to the devil. And the earth that belonged to the Lord was only leased to Adam. God ain't crazy, right? He didn't give the earth to, to Adam, He just gave him stewardship over it. He retained ownership, but He did lease it out. He leased it to Adam. Adam subleased it to the devil. So the devil's the God of this world right now. But in the book of Revelation, it tells me Jesus is coming back to repossess. The earth and the fullness thereof. Everything that's in it, on it, and around it, it belongs to God. And it's just been leased to the devil. That's why the whole world is going crazy right now. But God is going to repossess it. And soon. Hallelujah. See, when you became a Christian, you didn't just get a get out of hell free card. There was more to it. You declared God to be your Lord and Master. You made a commitment to serve him, and now nothing belongs to you anymore. You're just a steward. You've become a steward of everything that belongs to him. He entrusted you with things. And when we develop the mindset of stewardship, it makes giving so much easier because we understand that it's not ours to begin with. It's not our stuff that we're giving away. It's his stuff. And if tithing seems to be painful for you, then you haven't developed this mindset yet. If giving seems to be painful for you, you haven't developed this mindset. And I, I'm telling you, when Pastor and I tithe, we don't look at it like we're giving 10% of our income. Actually, we give like 15%. But we don't look at it like it's, we're giving 15%. We're looking at it like God lo- allowed us to, to keep 85 and 90% because the whole 100% belong to Him. So we're not giving 10% back. God is giving us 90%. And He says, use it. Enjoy it. Buy things with it. But set some aside to sow. And so according to the parable of the talents... The more we give, the more he will entrust us with. And the more he entrusts us with, the more he will bless us with. And the more we will have to give. And the cycle goes on and on. But here's how the church works. If Take PBS, public broadcasting system. They're not supported by any one entity. They rely on their viewers to support them and pay the bills. So, I don't contribute to PBS because I don't watch it. I don't get nothing out of it. So, uh, you know, because now if I watched it and enjoyed it, I'd be a contributor. I think Pastorette gave to it maybe when the kids were little and they would watch Sesame Street or something like that. Uh, She might have donated something. and Even then, they give you a little something back, you know, a little umbrella or a satchel or something free gift, you know, for for making a donation of so much. Well, in a way, that's the way the church operates. We don't have no big company calling us and saying, Pastor Mike, I, I would like to pay your mortgage this month. Or I'd like to pay your light bill. And don't worry about your garbage or phone for the rest of the year. I'm paying it. We don't have that. We rely on the viewers. And if you're partaking of this church and you should be contributing to it because that's the only support we have now i'm gonna give you some good news it's not entirely up to you if we don't have enough money to operate this church then we close it because it's god's responsibility now you can see we've been here for 20 plus years so god has not let us down right and thank God for all the givers. And I don't mean to sound like we don't appreciate We appreciate you being a giver. We appreciate when you allow God to use you, especially when you go above and beyond like with the parking lot fund. We appreciate that. But you're not our source. Uh, or you're not our resource. God is our resource. You're just a source that God uses. Amen? And thank God for obedient people because we wouldn't be here. The lights wouldn't be on this morning or the heat wouldn't be on this morning because we wouldn't be able to pay the bills. Amen? Amen. But according to the parable of the talents, the more we give, the more he entrusts us with. That's not how the world thinks. And it's important that we have something to give. And God says it's important that we have something to give. And, and, And that's why God wants us blessed so that we can be a blessing. You can't be a blessing if you ain't blessed. You can't give if you don't have anything to give. You remember Peter and John, they went to the temple, and the guy was at the gate begging alms, and he was crippled, you know, and and Peter says, look on us. You know, he says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, get up and walk. And that guy jumped up, and he began to leap and, and jump and run and praise God. So, you know, if Peter didn't have any money, he couldn't give him any money. That's why he said, I don't have any silver and gold. I can't give you something I don't have, but I do have something. I have Jesus Christ, and he wants you healed. And so that's how it is. You can only give what you have. So God wants you to have. In Genesis one it says, Then God said... Let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. With seed in it. According to their various kinds, and it was so. In other words, you know, every seed after its own kind. An apple is going to have apple seeds. An orange is going to have orange seeds. Uh, A cucumber is going to have cucumber seeds. And those seeds are going to produce after their kind. You're not going to plant an apple seed and grow a cucumber vine. It don't work that way. And God established that back in Genesis. But did you ever notice when you eat an apple or any piece of fruit or something, that after you eat the flesh of that fruit, there is always seed on the inside. And what is that for? To sow so you could have more fruit. And and that's how God designed the world. That's how God designed uh, Designed the kingdom of God. That's how everything operates seed, time, and harvest. You remember, we looked at that not too long ago. Always the time of, of uh, seed, time, and harvest. Always a time of cold and hot, winter and summer, this, the four seasons. He said that's not going to ever end. And so everything is based on and established through seed, time, and harvest. You don't sow a seed, there's no harvest. You sow a seed, there's a harvest. But don't eat all of your seed. Sow some back. And that's how it is with the tithe. Don't eat all of your seed. Sow some back. So it'll keep on coming. And you'll keep on having fruit to eat. And and that's why it says that God will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He wants you to eat the fruit, which means that we can enjoy all the things that he has provided for us. But he also wants you to sow seeds so that you can feed others and have a future harvest. Jesus said that the centurion was a man of great faith. Why? Because he understood that the only reason he had authority was because he placed himself under authority. And Jesus called that great faith. So we have to place ourselves under the authority of Jesus, or the master, so that we can understand what great faith is. You can't have great faith outside of him. The centurion couldn't have authority outside of the one that was in authority over him and gave him the authority that he had. And God will test us in stewardship to see if we're trustworthy. And if we are, he will entrust us with more. But we have to understand that it's not just material possessions that we have to be good stewards over. It's not just money. Stewardship goes much deeper than that. And and because we've been bought with a price, we're not our own. We belong to him now. So God will allow things to come into our lives that will test our stewardship. How good of a steward will you be? Let me test you. But like I said, it goes deeper than just possessions and, and money. You're a steward of your eyes. Whose eyes are they? God's. So we have to be careful of what we look at. You're a steward of your ears. You need to be careful what you listen to. Those ears are on loan to you. You're a steward of them. They don't belong to you. You're a steward of your mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I could preach a whole sermon here. But I'll break it down to this. You need to watch what comes out of your mouth. It's not yours, but you're responsible for what comes out of it. You're a steward of your time. What are you wasting your time on? And, and, and then you say, I didn't have time. Why? What did you waste it on? You had time. You just mismanaged it. You, didn't, you weren't a good steward of your time. And I'm not beating you up. I'm the same way. Sometimes I'm not a good steward of my time. And I find out that I come to the end of the day and there's things I didn't get done. But it wasn't because I didn't have the time. I try not to ever use that excuse. I try not to ever say I didn't have time because if it's important to you, you will find time for it. The same people say I didn't have time watch four hours of television without blinking their eyes. And you're a steward of your feelings and emotions. I couldn't help myself. They just made me angry. No, they didn't make you angry. You're responsible for your reactions. Stewardship. But first and foremost, the main area of stewardship that God will test us in is the handling of money. I noticed... Subject makes people uncomfortable, and and that's why I left the back door open. But it's part of the Word of God, and so we have to teach it. Amen? Paul said, I want you to give, not that fruit will abound to my account, but that fruit would abound to your account. And, And did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject in the Bible? Even more than he talked about salvation. He did. Why? Because... He knows if you can conquer money and the temptations that go along with money, you can conquer anything. Money is your biggest mountain to conquer. I'm telling you right now. And God will test us in our stewardship and he rewards us according to how well we do. The first place he will tell us or test us is with our money. And when he sees stewardship in this area, he will entrust you with more. I promise you he will luke chapter 16 verses 10 through 13 i'm going to read in the passion translation you can follow along or just listen to me but jesus said the one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities you might say well i don't want no more responsibility i have enough responsibility but Uh, Along with responsibility comes more. God gives you more because he can trust you with more. So this is the kind of responsibility you want to have. You want to prove that you're responsible with the things that God has entrusted you with. And and you might not have much right now, but I don't care how much or how little those things are. Handle everything that you have with an excellent spirit. Treat it as though it was big and valuable. And remember, it's his house, it's his car, it's his furniture, it's his knickknacks on the shelf, and, and so it should be one of the best-maintained houses, the best-repaired houses, the cleanest houses on the block, the, the lawn trimmed, the bushes trimmed, and, and people should look at your house and say, that's a well-taken-care-of piece of property right there. Why? Because it's not yours. You've just been entrusted with it. And you, you might be driving an old junk But you can still keep it clean. You can maintain it to the best of your ability. No matter what it looks like, it could be a bucket of rust. But when you're doing the best you can with it, and you're trustworthy with that little bucket of rust, God will give you a bigger bucket of rust. And then finally, a Cadillac. Amen? And, And it's because you've been faithful with the little. And notice here in verse 11 that he's looking for one area in particular for us to be faithful stewards in. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. Let me read it in the New International Version. It says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, which is money and possessions, the King James, I believe, calls it mammon, Who will trust you with true riches? What is true riches? I mean, money. That's true riches to me. Big house, nice car. These are true. No, they're not true riches because there's things in this world that money can't buy. And those are the true riches that Jesus is talking about. Things that are greater than material blessings. And God looks first at our stewardship with money to see If he can bring us into those things that are greater than money, greater than possessions. God wants to see how we handle our money. Are we an owner or are we a steward of it? (laughs) If you got money that you can't let go of to give to others and help others, then you own that money you're not a steward of it. You don't recognize, you don't have the mindset yet that it's not your money. The Bible teaches a lot about how to increase, but it also warns us about being consumed with riches. You know that, that, that one scripture that the love of money is the root of all evil, and people say it's money that's evil. No, it's not. It's the love of money that's evil, the love of riches. Uh, people that are consumed with money and riches then it's not good. That's evil. But money ain't evil. God uses it. And the things that money can't buy are things like joy and peace and health and comfort. These are the true riches. But you'll never get to them totally until you've conquered the worldly riches. God's dealing out resources to those that are faithful He's not dealing out possessions. He's dealing out things for you to use to help others, resources. And if I'm going to prove that I can handle the true riches, I first have to prove to him that I can handle the worldly wealth, which includes money and possessions, worldly possessions, material possessions. And then in verse 12, he says, If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be trusted with the eternal treasures of the spiritual world? And if you've not been proven faithful with what belongs to another, why should you be given wealth of your own? See, this is all about stewardship. It's all about the mindset. It's all about whose is it? Who does it belong to? See, you should be faithful with that which belongs to another person. And you should be the best employee that your company has. If he entrusts you with a switching horse paddy you should take care of that switching horse. You should treat that switching horse as though it was yours. You shouldn't abuse it. You shouldn't try to wreck it. You shouldn't shouldn't try to run it faster than it's supposed to go or slam the brakes on harder than they're designed to be slammed on and stuff like that. You should be taking care of it as though it was yours. Uh, You should treat their equipment and their property as though it's yours that's what god is saying if you can do that then he can trust you with some stuff for yourself and remember god can't increase you the way he wants you know i gotta stop and repent here a minute because i've rented some cars sometime, and i drove them like they're stolen (laughs) i tried them out you know what i'm saying (laughs) So I repent of that right now in Jesus' name because I did things with those rentals that I wouldn't do with my car, and that was wrong. This is a long time ago now, guys. This ain't on the way to Raymond. But remember, God can't increase you the way he wants to until you've been proven faithful with another man's stuff. And when you've been proven faithful with another man's stuff, then God will give you your own stuff and he will increase it all in proportion to your faithfulness in the little things and the least things. If you had great faithfulness in the least of things, he'll give you great faithfulness in the the big things. Amen? Verse 13 says, It is impossible for a servant, for a person, to serve two masters at the same time. Impossible. Impossible. He says you will be forced to love one and reject the other. One master will be despised and the other will have your loyal devotion. It is no different with God and the wealth of this world. You must enthusiastically love one and definitely reject the other. Now he's talking about two masters here. And we're still in the same passage of scripture. And the subject is still worldly riches, mammon, Money and possessions. We haven't changed, we haven't come off that subject yet. But he said there are two masters in the earth. But notice this he didn't say that one of them was the devil. What's the other master? Mammon, material possessions, and money. That's the other master. And and, uh, you're clinging to one or the other. And according to this passage of Scripture, there's no gray area. It's black and white. You're either clinging to the master or you're clinging to your money, your worldly possessions. And, you know, the world is consumed with the subject of money. I mean, look, you can't turn the news on or look at a newspaper without hearing something about the money, the stock market, the Bloomberg report. But the world is consumed with the accumulation of things. You want a prosperous business? Build a storage center. Build a warehouse. You look over here on on New Cut Road and Outer Loop, and the warehouses, enormous warehouses are popping up. What? To store stuff. Accumulated stuff. Now, those are different warehouses. They're, They're for businesses. But look at these little warehouses where you rent And you store furniture in there until it rots and molds and you throw it away. I mean, why do we have so many storage units, so many storage facilities? Because people are consumed with stuff. How much can I accumulate? I got so much stuff, I can't even put it all in my house, my basement, my garage is full. I'll rent a storage bin and put it there. Why? It's more than you need. It's things you don't need. Why? Because that's what the world has programmed us to do. The more you have, the better off you are. You know, uh, that, that farmer, you know, he says, uh, you know, look at my crops. I've had bumper crops these last few years. I don't have room enough to store it. This will I do. I'll build bigger barns. And bigger barns. And Store all my stuff, and then I sit back and say, "Take thine ease, yes. uh-huh. for thou hast many possessions." Uh-huh. And God said, "You fool! Yes. This night, yes. your soul will be required of thee." Yes. Then, who will those possessions belong to? Right. You know, and God is not against stuff; it's recognizing when you have enough stuff. That's what you have to recognize. You know, uh, we have a beautiful house two fairly new vehicles, uh, everything we can imagine. I hate when they ask me what I want for Christmas or my birthday because I don't need anything. But I have come to, there was a time when I I always had need of something. I come up with a list every year. But there comes a time in your life where you have to recognize, i got enough. I'm satisfied. And that's when you feel a peace like you never had before. You're not striving to keep up with the Joneses anymore. I, as a matter of fact, we've come to the place where I got more than enough. That's right. I got stuff that's sitting because I'm not using it, it and and so give it away. That's right. Like Pastor S says, give it away. You find somebody needs it. God'll cross your path with somebody that needs that thing. And just remember this: it's going to be a test, and you're going to have a hard time giving it. Yes. Even though you ain't used it in 20 years, you have to dust it off and oil it or whatever. Uh, But you have a hard time giving it. Why? That mindset is wrong. Uh You still have a worldly mindset that the more I have, the better it is. And you know, the one that dies with the most toys wins? No, he's still dead. He didn't win nothing. But the world is consumed with the accumulation of things. God doesn't want us like that. God wants you to, if God tells you, uh, give that little girl a ring, give her your ring. If he tells you to give your car away, give your car away. Yes. And you, you got to know it's God now or you yes. can give away foolishly. We haven't always uh, recognized God's voice. We gave things away and then later regret it and then realized that was the wrong person to give it to. Yeah. But we gave it. Yes. That's because we're not clinging to those things those possessions don't have us. We have them, and we can do whatever we want with them. We're free with them. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And, and we learned a lot of that through the Raymond group. You know, we did it for years, even before we went to Raymond, but I remember paying a compliment to Pastor Don Atkins. He had a full-length leather coat. I said, man, that's a sharp coat, and he took it off and gave it to me. I said, I can't take that coat. He says, take it brother, don't be robbing me of a blessing. He said, that's pride. He said, you take this coat. I put it on and it was as though God bought it for me. It was a perfect size. It was like it was custom made for me. But that's how you have to be with things, you know, Uh, uh, especially if someone has a need for something. And I didn't need that coat, but he wanted to give it to me as a blessing. And if I didn't take it, I would rob him of his blessing because he wouldn't get the better coat that God had for him. And so that's how the cycle works. That's how the kingdom of God works. And, and, you know, God is not against us having things. As a matter of fact, he uses it as a tool to see if he can entrust us with greater things. And what he's really interested in is you not loving it and serving it. These things were put... Here for us, you remember on Wednesday night I taught that the earth, the universe was created, the earth was created, man was created. The universe, the sun, the moon, the stars was all created to minister to the earth. And the earth was created to minister to man. So every animal on it is to minister to man. Everything on the earth is to minister to mankind. And the resources are to minister to man. That's why I know we'll never run out of natural resources because that would mean God messed up and made a mistake and didn't put enough gas in the ground or enough dinosaurs or whatever. And and the earth is not going to, the north and south poles ain't going to melt because that means that God made a mistake in creation. So I know all these things were put here to minister to me and to you, not the other way around. They're here to serve us. We're here to serve Him. And and how do I know which one I'm serving? It's easy. Which one are you clinging to? (laughs) He wants us to have things, but He don't want us clinging to them. And and when you cling to them, you begin to show ownership. And who does everything belong to again? The Lord's. But if I tithe, I won't be able to pay my bills. But God said He'll pay them. God said if we don't give the tithe back to him, that we're a robber. That's right. So we have two choices. We can return the tithe, which belongs to him anyway, the 10%, keep the 90%, and live on the 90%. Or we can cling to that 10%, and God call us a robber. Come on. He's not going to bless us. And remember, there's a consequence to messing with God's stuff. God uses the tithe as a test to see if he can entrust us with more. He's just testing our stewardship. So are we going to cling to the money or are we going to cling to God and trust him? Remember I said if you conquer your money, you conquer anything. Because you're clinging to the right person. And every time you stand there with your paycheck in your hand, you have to make a decision. Who am I going to cling to this week? Am I going to cling to God and trust in him or cling to this 10% and trust in the money or the worldly riches? Who's the master of my life this week? Amen. And if you're going to help people, then you have to be a conduit, something that things travel through. And, and well, who's going to help me? That's his job. Yes. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Your job is to take care of his kingdom. His job is to take care of you. But if he's not your master, he has no obligation. Amen. He's not responsible for you. Yes. So when you make him your master, that makes him responsible for you. Yes. Amen. I hope you're getting this this morning. See, tithing is not God trying to get something from us. It's God trying to get something to us. People think about the tithe and they think well, what, uh, about what they're giving up. But when God thinks about the tithe, he thinks about rebuking the devourer for your sake, yeah. not letting your fruit fall to the ground before it's time, and opening the windows of heaven over your life yeah. so that he can pour you out blessings. That's right. God's interested in helping you because you are interested in helping him. And again, I want you to understand it all belongs to God, not just the tithe, uh, everything. At any time, I should be able and willing to let things go as the Lord has need of it. If the Lord tells me to give my shoes to somebody, I'm going to give my shoes. My car, I'm going to give my car. My time, I'm going to give my time. My money, I'm going to give my money. And even sometimes when he doesn't tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. Yes. I'll buy somebody's dinner at the Cracker Barrel. Yes. I'll pay for somebody's coffee in line at Starbucks. Yes. I'll buy somebody's groceries at Kroger. Yes. I, and, and even without God telling me to, That's right. I'll do those things. Yes. And, and, and it's not because I'm being obedient to him. It's because I'm sowing seed. Yes. Wow. Yeah. The other day, me and Pastor Ed was at Kroger, and we were in line, and it was long lines and mad people and, and this uh, man of color come in line behind, a, behind us with a few items in his hand. And we had a big cart full of stuff. And I told him, would you like to go ahead of us? He says, are you sure? I said, yes, of course. I said, you only got a couple items. You go right ahead. So he went up there. He paid for his stuff. He turned around and tried to give Pastor Ed $20. And Miss P... Wouldn't take it. So he tried to give it to me. And at first, I said, no, no. I said, I, I, I don't want to take that money just because we were nice to you and let you be in line, you know. And he said, ah, ah, ah. And he said it in such a way I had to take it. Uh, me and Pastor Ed took that 20 bucks, slapped hands on him. We said, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray blessings on this man that this would be a hundredfold return for him. And we prayed over that $20, and then we bought lunch. And it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I am I, I still got more notes than I got time. But I'm just going to ask you this. Is, is God your master this morning? Yeah. I mean, are you going to cling to him? or Are you going to cling to your possessions? Yeah. I'm glad we already took the offering. So you can't say I'm trying to make up an offering here. But, you know, when... The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tested his stewardship right there. He tested him. He said, Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And that was his test to see if he was going to cling to his possessions or cling to Jesus and follow him. He made the wrong choice that day. He clung to his possessions, and the Bible says that he walked away sad and dejected because the price was too high for him to pay. Amen. That's somebody that's clinging to their possessions and not to the master. i tell you what, I'd rather cling to him because my money ain't going to get me healed. It'll buy me a, a hospital bed. It'll buy me a visit to the doctor, but it won't heal me. Amen. And, and, and my money uh, won't buy me joy. It won't give me joy when I'm sad. It won't give me comfort when I'm uh, morning, it won't save my soul and send me to heaven and keep me out of hell but jesus will that's my master amen. and i'm gonna cling to him amen, amen. let's stand at our feet father i ask you to minister to every soul in this place this morning everyone that heard this message today minister to them holy ghost we know it's your job to convict not condemn but to convict and so we just want you to tap on their shoulder and say everything he said was truth this morning it comes from my word hallelujah so we just want you to think about it we're coming into like pastor has said 2020 will be upon us before we know it and what better way to start out a new year is to start out as making a bold declaration that god is going to be your master and not money and not your possessions, hallelujah. And you watch how God will bless you in return. He'll entrust you with more, and and more will bring increase, and increase will bring more giving, and more giving will bring more increase and more trust, hallelujah. And it just never ends, glory to God. So we thank you and we praise you, Father, that this message will mean something to everybody in here. And they'll start learning how to live on the 90 that you've allowed them to keep And uh, because at 10% don't make that big of a difference, you know. It's not going to pay your light bill. It's not going to pay your car payment. It's not going to pay your insurance. The 90 is, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And help us to learn how to live within the means of the 90% and leave your stuff alone. Hallelujah. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody that agreed with us said, amen.